everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your uh, monthly movie discussion podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. Thank you, first-timers, for checking us out. For those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a monthly movie podcast where four friends get together to watch a movie and then talk about it. And that's it. That's the whole premise. There are no rules about what we can choose. The films can be foreign or domestic or animated or live action or old or new, or we've seen it a million times or never seen it. There are no rules at all. And uh, we announce at the end of each episode what we're watching next month. So you can watch along with us if you'd like. And we uh, will spoil everything we watch. So if you're worried about that, please watch a film before you listen to its podcast episode. The basic idea is that we get more out of the things we love when we share them with the people we love. And we get new perspective and understand ourselves and our, our uh, hobbies and our likes much better. Unfortunately, today I'm not joined by people I love, but instead joined by three of my colleagues from Project Mumble. Uh, first up, his name is Joel Lewis. Hello. His name is Tim Gerard. First rule of Project Mumble is you do not talk about Project Mumble. <laughs> and his name is Zeke Perez. I, I couldn't think of anything chaotic. Uh, that was a lot. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, for those of you who didn't already pick up the references, this month's film was Fight Club, and it was selected for us by Tim. Tim, yep. if you want to introduce us to the film a little bit and why you chose it, that sort of thing, please. Listeners, strap in. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny. I was actually thinking about this, I think, yesterday to kind of prepare. And I, I was like all ready to tell the story of uh, the, the first time I watched this uh, was with my best friend. And then as I was like, think about, I was like, wait a minute, is that, I think I'm thinking of uh, Usual Suspects. Cause like, I remember watching it and it by, at the end, there's this twist and we're like, oh man. And I'm like, yeah, that was Usual Suspects. But, but I, I'm going to pretend I also watched Fight Club for the first time with him too. Cause I feel like it was, it was the same thing. And I can't remember, although the, the main difference is I remember falling asleep during most of um, Usual Suspects until the very end where I was like, oh, okay, now the movie is good. Um, whereas with Fight Club, we were kind of like in it all the way through. And then by the end, it was like, oh, holy shit, that just brought this up a notch, you know? So that was sort of, I think it was, it must've been, I mean, it came out in, I think, 99. I think I looked really quick. Yep. Um, so it's around the same time as The Matrix, which I, you know, kind of thought, I knew uh, I kind of was experiencing it around the same time, but it must've, um, Fight Club must've come later because when I watched it, it was, um, I think it was at my, my parents' house. Um, so it must've been like when I was, uh, you know, home for the weekend from college. Uh, so it was a very different experience from the matrix, you know, like the matrix kind of going, seeing it in the theater soon after it came out, like kind of having it like blow my mind in so many different ways and then be like, Holy shit. And then it was like later on when I kind of finally got around to seeing fight club at home, it was like a much more you know intimate kind of setting. But I just remember like, you know, just first of all just kind of like on the storytelling level of of having that twist um you know and again there are tons of movies that do that but i feel like it, it had me hooked from like second one and then you know to on top of that have this really great twist you know which then of course you know you go back and you know like any movies with a twitch you go twist you go back and rewatch it and you kind of catch all these things um and it was, it was, yeah, it was one of those things that just kind of dug itself into my brain, you know, a lot, much the way the matrix did, you know, every time I saw it, you know, you catch new things, you know, you kind of hear about little things, um, you know, the whole idea of how they have like these like little subliminal flashes of Tyler Durden early on in the movie that you don't necessarily notice at first, but then when you're watching for them and you see them and, um, so, um, 
personally kind of the way it worked itself into me too, I think was it, it was sort of like the, the perfect counterpart to the matrix. I feel like, because the matrix was very, you know, spiritual and very kind of inward looking. And this one was like very outward looking and, you know, kind of the matrix is all about, you're super important. And then fight club is all about like, nobody's important, you know? So it was, it was, it was really nice to have that, that yin and yang kind of in, in my life in that way, whether it's like, uh, you know, whatever mood I was in, it's like, there was, it was one of those two movies that could resonate with me. Yeah. I remember it just became one of those that like would be watched um, probably like weekly for a while at one point, you know, where it was just kind of like, yeah, let's watch this. Let's watch this, you know? And I feel like uh, my roommate at the time when I was in college, there were probably about four or five movies we had like on rotation that would just get watched. And um, I would also watch that one sort of on my own a lot of the time just to kind of like, you know, and it, it was ironic too, because I was also working at a men's clothing store around the same time when I watched it. So the, you know, you're not your khakis whole thing kind of really <laughs> dug into my brain because it's like, that's what my job was, is you're trying to get people to buy khakis. And it's like, but I'm not my khakis. It's like, oh man, fuck this job. <laughs> um so, so that, that, you know, it, it just, it, it's one of those things of like the right movie coming to you at the right time kind of thing. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's been, you know, helpful in a lot of ways, kind of like, as I've gone on, it, it's definitely kept me away from being like overly materialistic. I mean, every now and then I get into, you know, material stuff, but it's usually stuff that has to do with, uh, you know, for me, like music, you know, whether I'm buying instruments or, you know, or, or software for music, you know, that's usually where I tend to go when it comes to things, you know. Um, but, it, you know, it's it definitely got into my brain as far as just like, you know, yeah, like you don't need to own this, you know, this perfect couch and this perfect, uh, you know, coffee table so that you never have to buy another coffee table again, you know. And <laughs> I think it's, um, not that it's really forced me into that, but I've noticed that things like that really help me when, you know, in your life, when you, when you can't afford things like that, or like in my case, when you have to move across the country and you have to fit all your possessions into a Honda Civic. So it's like, yeah, like you can't be like, oh, this is my couch and this is my this and this is my that. They have to come with me. It's like, no, like I'm going to take a bag of clothes and, you know, like a little TV stand to put my laptop on and that's it, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the films that's had sort of like a big influence on me in that way that it's kind of like, you know, helped me to, I, I don't want to say like a lot of, you know, the super overly optimistic is like, oh, appreciate what you have. It, it's not even that. It's more just like, I don't need a lot of stuff because of that. You know, again, aside from music stuff, I do have a lot of music crap, but like, you know, I don't just like have stuff for the sake of having stuff, you know. What's um, that like? <laughs> 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 it's it's really weird it's and it, it is kind of funny too because this 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 sort of comes up a lot like when you guys are, are discussing watches and things like that and I, there have been times where like i want to get a watch then it's just like i i wouldn't wear it after like a week you know and it's like it would just sit there and it would be because like i i know like having things on me like that bothers me and it's like I, I wore watches when i was a kid and i used to play with it and like you know my hand would get stinky and i wouldn't know what to do like when i wash my hands like where do i put it and then do i put it back on like is my watch dirty you know so it's just like no and um so yeah but there, there is a part of me that that has that reaction that's just like yeah i want i want to buy some things but then it's just like but but yeah like you don't you don't i don't ever care what time it is obviously 
so I don't I don't need a watch or maybe more than anyone I need a watch you know but um you know but that's the thing is I'd probably wear it for a week and never wear it and I'd just be late again and it would just be something else collecting dust you know um I have so, a list of so, watches you could wear <laughs> okay <laughs> addressing all of those issues <laughs> we'll get you a g-shock you'll be fine um okay. sorry <laughs> A swatch watch. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. so, so, so to the, to the story of the film, you know, um, cause that's all right. We, we have the picker summarize it now, right? Yes. So that's me. Okay. So it's, it's this guy. <laughs> yeah. It's this guy. We don't, we don't know his name. He's just a worker. He works for a, a car, um, you know, a car, uh, 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 not a dealership, but a, a car company, you know, and doing sort of claims as far as like, Oh, there was an accident and this thing blew up. Should we do a recall? So he's got this kind of very, um, you know, at one point he's, he's talking about how everything in his apartment comes from like Ikea or, or Fernie, which I guess is another company like Ikea. And, you know, basically at one point they show his apartment, it has all the price tag. It looks like a catalog from one of these places, you know, like if you walk into Ikea and they have the bedroom all set up, like that's what his condo looks like. And, and he's just very kind of walking through all these things. And, and you can tell like he has a lot of really nice stuff, but none of it's really like important or matters. And he has insomnia and he's kind of just floating through life. And, you know, it's like, a, you know, it's like being half awake, half asleep. Um, and at one point he ends up uh, going to a, uh, um, oh, that's what it is. He goes to a doctor to say like, you know, can you give me something to help me sleep? You know, I'm in pain. And the doctor's like, oh, you want to see pain, you know, go to like, you know, remaining men together, which is this uh, um, support group for men who have testicular cancer. He's like, that's real pain. So the guy checks it out and he ends up, there's a part where the people go one-on-one -on -one and he ends up uh, uh, crying into this guy. And he feels like this sense of release that he hasn't had in a long time and he's able to sleep again. So this becomes his life going to every support group for all these things that he doesn't actually have until this woman, Marla Singer shows up and now he can't cry because he can tell that she's also a faker and it makes him guilty and all this. So he can't sleep again. He goes back to this whole thing. And then he ends up meeting on an airplane, Tyler Durden, who you know, tells them all about, oh, I do this, I have this soap business and I do this. And they have this cute, fun little conversation. And then on his way home, uh, or as he, as he gets home, he realizes, oh, fuck, my condo blew up. All my shit is gone, you know? And he doesn't really know what to do. He thinks about calling Marla, decides against that. Instead, he calls this guy, Tyler Durden, who he just met. And they go to a bar, they start talking about how you know, oh, he lost all his flaming, his flaming possessions. And, you know, Tyler Durden kind of first starts giving this sense of like, oh, the things you own end up owning you, you know, like this, uh, you know, you shouldn't be so concerned with all these material things because they're going to, they're going to rule your life, you know, and ends up, you know, as they're leaving, he asked if he can crash with Tyler and Tyler's like, yeah, sure. But you're going to hit me. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. You know, this is the, the first mantra that we get from Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. So the two of them start fighting. They end up starting this whole fight club, hence the name of the movie. That's why they call it Fight Club. <laughs> he said and the thing. More... He said the thing. <laughs> yeah. I was going to do that. <laughs> And uh, so more and more people get involved in these fight clubs. It ends up growing from just like these two guys to a bunch of guys to happening multiple nights. And, you know, we, we, we sort of see how this thing explodes and, and you know, how, how much so many people need this. Um, and one of the, the great things about it is like, you know, when, when you think fighting, that your first thought is kind of like violence. And, and granted, it is violent, but it's not... Um, 
you know, the people who are fighting, like they're not angry with each other. They're not like, you know, it's not a contest where it's like, okay, I won and I get a prize. I mean, there is a, a winner, you know, the person who lasts the longest, but, but it's like everyone's friends after him. It's just this very cathartic experience. And, and it really kind of shows this idea from a different perspective. Cause again, a lot of what we see fighting is someone either wanting to fight us and we don't want to fight them, or you have like, you know, boxing or MMA where it's these two rivals and they're fighting and they're trying to win and they're trash talking each other when they're not fighting. And this is just like, no, we're two, you know, two guys who are going to step in the ring. We're going to fight when it's done. We're going to shake hands and go back to our lives. Um, and then unfortunately it slowly starts growing to be a terrorist organization. <laughs> and, you know, you start to kind of, uh, yeah, see how there's this, this, this growing idea. And, and, and it's not just about fight club kind of being a safe haven for the people who need it. It ends up being, we're going to kind of force this on the world. And, you know, you see the way like a lot of the, the people in it end up becoming like, you know, or I guess, it, you know, in addition to being a terrorist organization, it's almost like a cult. Um, and it, it, it kind of grows into this thing and goes off the rails. And um, yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen, it, I don't know who hasn't seen it by this point, but then by the end, you kind of realize as the main character is trying to figure out, you know, things, things start getting weird and the main character is trying to figure out what's going on. And at one point you hit this realization that, you know, Tyler Durden has been in his head this whole time and that, you know, he is Tyler Durden and everyone recognizes him as Tyler Durden, even Marla Singer, who, you know, he's apparently been banging this whole time, you know, which he doesn't even remember it, you know. Um, and that's one of the great sort of great moments when you go back and rewatch it, when you see, you know, as, as Tyler Durden, quote unquote, has been banging Marla while, you know, the narrator is living in the same house with him. And then you see these interactions between him and Marla and then you would just assume, oh, here's this guy who's angry that this woman is in his house banging his friend. You kind of realize that to Marla, this is the guy she just banged, who's like now being like, what are you doing in my house? Get out of my house. You know, and, and, and you see how like fucked up their relationship is from, from her view, when in fact, it's just that he wasn't completely aware of the nature of their relationship until- There's the a really show. cool moment when they're, Tyler and Marla are going at it and the phone rings. And the narrator yes. goes to answer the phone. And as soon as he answers it's the phone, stuck. the sex yep. noises stop. Yep, immediately, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, and, and it's, you know, uh, so, so yeah, it's one of those, that's the big twist. And, and it's kind of like, oh, they've set all these things in motion. Are they going to try be able to stop it? Um, and, and they don't, you know, and, you know, and, and we're kind of left with, 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 you know, who, you know, is, I guess, Tyler, you know, um, uh, you know, although I guess he did kind of murder Tyler symbolically. So I guess he's not really Tyler. Tyler's gone. Um, but whatever his name is, we see him and Marla and they're kind of going to, I guess, continue their relationship in this brave new world. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we get to see him kind of overcome that demon. You know, he does get kind of beat Tyler in the end, which, you know, we do see as a good thing because we do see that he did kind of help him break out of his kind of slump that he was in, but then Tyler kind of goes out of control and, you know, and, and, oh man, something just completely clicked with me that I never noticed before that it's, it's kind of like his, one of the first things Tyler says to him, the things you own end up owning you. And it was like, Tyler was this part of his personality that, that, that he owned quote unquote, because it was in his head but it gets to the point where Tyler ends up running things and Tyler own, owns him for a while until he kind of takes it back and 
wow, that was, I, that never really clicked with me before. Like the, I guess, cause I never saw Tyler as a possession, but he's, he's not a real person. He's only in his head. So that's the only place he exists. So he, yeah, in a sense does belong to, well, they call him Jack as far as I, you know, I'm, I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. Um, so, so yeah, so he ends up kind of beating his demon and kind of taking his life back, but it's, it's also been transformed into this other thing. So it's not like he's going to get his job back working for the car company. And, um, but anyway, yeah, that was a really, really roundabout <laughs> explanation of it, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, I think, I think it's tough to talk about too. It's tough to summarize because you, you, you appreciate it for so many of the little details and so many of the details that you catch, you know, the second and third and fourth time you see it, it's, it's hard to kind of gloss over those, you know, especially in this case, we're assuming everyone listening to this has already seen it. So it's not like you're trying to hide stuff from them and only talk about the things that aren't going to be spoilers. But so anyway, yeah, that's, that's me and Fight Club. That was, yeah, thank you. That was brilliant. Um, <laughs> that I was, was thinking <laughs> normally I would be asking, why did you choose to bring to the podcast? But we've touched on that before, you know, you've, mm-hmm. and your explanation here, you've talked about The Matrix and Fight Club being particularly formative films for you. Uh, so I guess we can sort of skip past that and move on to yeah. first impressions. They're like the star that circles the black hole. That's like the Matrix and Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I say first impressions with, you know, at first, I mean, I don't think I'd ever sat down and watched this in a single sitting before. I think I'd just seen part and then seen the rest. And I don't think I ever just went through the whole thing. So quote unquote first, but I had seen it. I knew the twist, you know, I, Joel, I think you've seen it before, Zeke. Both of you. So, okay. Instead of first impressions, 18th impressions? <laughs> Re-impressions. Re-impressions. I like that. It's a good word. I could start if that's all right. Zeke, I think I watched this for the first time with you. I think you introduced me to this film much the way you did Silence of the Lambs. I think that's right. Yeah. Remember? I was, I, I'm trying to remember too, because I think, I want to say this is only like my third or fourth time seeing it. I want to say it was like end of high school and then like early college. I think that's when we watched it together. And then I read the book and then this might be the third time. And I think it's, I know it's the first time after reading the book. So that's interesting. Um, I'll get to that. But yeah, yeah. I remember we watched that together. Gotcha. And I, I think I had seen parts of it on TV before and kind of post post the reveal. So I think I, I had it spoiled to a certain extent by, but by the time that I got into the film, watching it like sitting down to watch it all the way through for the first time i had either forgotten or was just so taken up with the the narrative that it was like if i remembered it didn't matter and this film blew my mind the first time i saw it it it, it just i don't the the way i was thinking about it was like i had seen movies before but this felt like more experimental weirder confident but not in a in a uh, off-putting or alienating way. It felt very accessible, though it was philosophical and it was making these kind of anti-consumerist, anti-materialist, almost like. There, and there's a toxic masculinity to it in a certain sense. But that's also tempered. I mean, no, I had watched some interviews with Pollock where he's t- or uh, Polinick where he was talking about it being a response to this like space needed for men to physically express themselves not really a, a a male space for expression of emotion or feelings or angst in that way 
and that is aged either poorly or or uh, well, depending on how it's applied. Right? I think Polinick said if if my daughter brought home a dude whose favorite movie was Fight Club, that would not be a good sign. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's n- none of this has to do with my first viewing, but it, it, the fir- it blew my fucking mind, and I bought it after watching it for the first time, and I think I watched it every other week for a while and then it was every three months like this was on a road i I thought my rotation was pretty impressive tim every week that's that's some heavy duty re-watching and it just it's almost cliche like it hit me at high like after high school early college that i mean it's reservoir dogs and fight club those are the posters on the wall right like that they they come standard issue it's it, it blew my mind that it just was so different from any other kind of film I'd see. I'm, I've seen, I'd seen Brad Pitt and things. I think I'd seen um, Edward Norton. Norton. I'd seen Edward Norton in other things, but this was just like the first real focus on Ed Norton. And like the way he plays this character is really interesting. And this was where I fell in love with Brad Pitt. Like, I had seen Ocean's Eleven and that's where I like fell in love with the the personality. But this was like, dude is carved out of fucking wood. That's always going to be like in my mind, the, the ultimate aesthetic for like physical strength that his carved out of wood shredded look has always been something of like a desire for me. So it, that, that was, that's the thing. Like it, it impacted me. Like, I was in Oxford and we got boxing gloves and I kind of, we, we had this kind of flat, it wasn't a fight club, but we like fought, we punched each other. We had gloves and stuff, but you felt that catharsis in the same way they do in the movie, whether that's healthy or not, or how, and uh, I think Polinick was talking to Joe Rogan about it. So not the best forum for this discussion of like a very nuanced topic, but they were talking about like, the rejection of the first father and finding this, this second father in a sense, what Tyler represents. There's also some homoeroticism in that and self-masturbation. That's a whole other commentary on it. But the idea of the dojo with the sensei or the master uh, as this second paternal relationship and the idea of like an organized sport with physical contact. I mean, Tyna experienced very similar things with jujitsu where it's this it's an organized violence and it, it's, it's not, you kind of see with, with MMA upper, upper echelons, there's this, this drama to it, right? There's these two personalities and warring and it has to be like this show. But what I've experienced and seen from the competitions she's been in have been this like mutual respect. You have a competition and you fight hard, but at the, at the end of it, it's a mutual respect and you respect the rules. And it's, it's this very cathartic, honest exchange um and there's there's something valuable in it i think that's what it 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 starts out as right tim was talking about the cathartic release and that's something i've experienced i mean anybody i think who's played sports has that you make an impact and if if it feels good it's kind of a weird i always like getting hit in lacrosse like I, i i didn't quite understand it but it's like this kind of like release this cathartic release um this is just garbling a whole lot. This is mostly my, my newest impression of it is just kind of, I, I mean, I tried to take notes and I tried to come at it from like a feminist lens. It's not a great feminist film. Marla is kind of a, 
Marla is like one of my favorite Helena Bonham Carter roles, like the quintessential role for her. It's not terribly well written or deep, but it's it's not about that. I don't know. There, there There's problems. But like halfway through the movie, I just stopped writing because I just enjoy the movie so much. I couldn't. I couldn't analyze it anymore. I just was letting it happen to me because it's just so dynamic and so compelling. And I was, I couldn't get over how fast it is. Like to start the pacing is just so this thing and this thing and this thing. Like we get to the, the, I mean, the Ikea nesting syndrome is something that I always felt personally attacked by because I, I, I am a materialist at, at, to my fault. Like I, I realize it's, it's not a good thing. I, I, hoard things and i like stuff like i've always done that and it's it's kind of like a um retail therapy writ large kind of thing and but it just starts right in on like you're not you're fucking khakis it's like i really like these khakis like it, it, it i feel it personally attacked by it, but not not so much that i turned it off i'm just so interested and so compelled from the second i mean the transition to this was bob bob had bitch tits and then like just the sequences just go and then it's like the the trash can that is like the 2001 space odyssey scene where it's it just it it bombards you and it's just like what's what's happening and then you're just hooked you're like holding on to every frame because so much information is coming at you and i don't know that this was kind of the first after the first time i watched it i kind of like would put it in the background or like have it on to fall asleep to like i had it on in the background but this this is the first time in a long time I sat down and watched it and realized the pace of it. It's just it, it, fight club, I think gets a bad rap for it. it's like this film. Everybody saw everybody kind of dismisses it. And this, and I, I was prepared to kind of do that. Right. Like that I've had that impression that like four dudes talking about fight club, what new can be said. And it's like, there's so much in it. It's such a rich film and it's not, it holds up. I think. So that that's I'll stop talking with that. I'll just with mine. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so before I do, I, I can't remember what the context uh, Joel uh, was of of us watching it together because I remember Silence of the Lambs. It was like, oh, let's watch a spooky thing. It's October or whatever, right? Like, have you seen this not too spooky, spooky movie? Do you remember why we decided to sit down and For watch? For some Fight reason, Club? I feel like it was Samantha recommended it. Like we were hanging out with our friend Samantha and I said I hadn't seen it and then it got thrown. I can't remember though. Like it was either that or is like, have you seen this? It might've been at, right after Silence of the Lambs. Cause I feel like it was like, like well, discovering what the other person hasn't seen sort of thing. Yeah. I think yeah. I was like, well, you, you knocked it out of the park with the previous pick. <laughs> let's, let's go back to the library and get something else that you recommend. Right. It's right. either of those. I can't really remember. For sure, but it is one of those things. Either way, it's uh, one of those movies that like a lot of people have seen, and then so that's how it was for me for my first time watching it. Like, came out in '99, hadn't seen it until late high school, but I knew it was a movie that a lot of people liked or that it was always talked about. Um, talked about as having a great twist. Talked about as you know from high school boys as being like a you know very macho sort of movie too. So there were all these different things. Um, so yeah, so I think that was my first time watching it. And it's it's interesting. Tim, you kind of said this. Um, it's a new movie every time you watch it. Because I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I'm looking for the twist. You know, I, I'm curious what that's about. And I didn't, it wasn't spoiled for me. So I went through the whole movie 
you're like, this is interesting. This is kind of eclectic and weird and whatever. Um, and then waiting for the twist at the end being like, holy shit. Um, this time I was sitting down and looking for those things like the Tyler Durden flashes. And I was like, oh shit, there's one. So for the next like half an hour of the movie, I was waiting for more. I think there's only four in total, but I was sitting there just like, okay, is it just going to keep happening? Um, but it's really just kind of four quick subtle things. And then we meet Tyler and it's, it's just onto that stage of the story um, to Joel's point about the pace and like, boom, boom, boom. Like when you see those flashes and you're waiting for more of those to come up, it's like, okay, this is going to be a long stretch in the movie and they're going to plant these seeds, but not really. There's four. And then you just meet Tyler. Um, so that was interesting again to watch this time, you know, the twist you're looking for all these, it's just one of those movies that when you know the twist and you go back to watch, you're like, oh, how effective is this going to be when I know what's going to happen? But it's still effective because you're finding new things to look for. Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing about it, too, like I remember watching it, high school, masculinity, mad at the world, all that stuff. And I was like, you know what? Like, maybe I do want to join an underground club and like people hit me. I hit people like, let's just fucking do it. Let's go. And, like, maybe I don't like the world and materialistic things. And then now watching it, like I'm a grown ass man, I'm a homeowner. I'm like, you know what? Like I, I, I want to be Edward Norton. I want to get the nice couch. Like, I, I want to find the nice table and just call it a night, like trying to have a good night's sleep. Like, so it's just interesting to watch it at different stages of my life too. Like, I don't know, I guess probably doing the math, but like 10 years or 12 years, whatever, from the first time watching it to now, like how I've changed as a person changes how I see it too. And I think there's something to be said there about the message that it brings. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, and another thing too, Joel, you got at this a little bit, um, but it really is so many different movies in one. Like the first, I don't even know how many minutes, but it feels like a dark comedy to start out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's a guy going to like cancer and alcoholism and all these different support groups. And like, um, I don't want to sp spoil my favorite scene now, but my favorite scene is probably like when he and Marla are trading like, okay, I want bowel cancer, but you can have this one. <laughs> it's just such an absurd conversation. And like, they're having that conversation in front of the store clerk, like, no, I want bowel cancer. <laughs> Do I wanted that? Didn't you? Okay. Well, I'll trade you these two days. We can split this every other week. Um, I don't know. Like that, dark humor there but then it changes into something completely different where it at, at certain points just gets completely dark like when tyler's downstairs and uh jack or or edward norton whatever he's um upstairs and he's arguing with marla and tyler's like are you talking about me and just very dark um another very dark moment is when he realizes that that there are other fight clubs other days of the week and he's like, oh, they're going on and doing this out. Like, what's Tyler doing without me? Um, so it's kind of like a dark mystery thing. And then you get the twist and you just get straight out violence. Like, there's just a lot of different movies in this one movie that, that make it enjoyable to go back, um, go back and watch too. Um, I don't know. It was interesting to watch again in a modern context, like I said, with how I've changed or just with how the world has changed too. Um, but no, I mean, for fourth or whatever impressions it's something i really enjoyed um i do like i said I, I had read the book in between i think like the second viewing and if this is the third or the fourth like somewhere in between i read the book but i didn't read the book and go watch the movie immediately um so i've kind of forgotten the book i think i read that in maybe 2018 so i'm kind of interested to read that again and 
see what translate what translates and what doesn't um you know because i was watching it last night with uh with natalie and she was saying um you know the way marla's written in the book is a lot different than she's kind of portrayed in the movie in terms of how much book time versus screen time um so i don't know i i, I wish i could say that my impression of it changed one way or another after reading the book but i honestly you know am more comparing it to the other times watching the movie than reading the book just because i can't remember mm -hmm. um but that being said yeah it just feels like a different movie every time and then really enjoyed it again this time yeah you've really i mean you mentioned this too to enjoy it. there's so much in it it feels like a different movie every time it feels like a different like three different movies at different parts of the movie like you mentioned it and i think my re-impression maybe answers why i never watched it in one setting before because i was so bored for the first like half of the movie <laughs> and i almost feel like that's on purpose that you're supposed to feel the same absolute just bland flat ennui that the narrator feels about the narrator's life that even when he's going to all the support groups eventually they just become another piece of the pattern from group to group today today and i i don't know if that's just really effective for me or i also kind of struggle to to care about the narrator and again maybe that's on purpose i don't know but i god oh boy i was uh i was really sitting there the whole first chunk going like wasn't this better? Like, didn't I like this more? And then, you know, things started to happen and pick up and there started to be mystery and things started to unfold. And, and then it was really, really good. You know, the, the, the eventual peeling back of layers towards the Tyler Durden reveal is just pitch perfect to the, the different ways the other actors react to his presence in a room as that changes across the sequence of the film, the little cues like the sound you know, when the sex noises stop, when he picks up the phone because he can't be both places at once. And like that sort of stuff starts to trickle in and it's just so good. And by the end of it, you know, I've spent the whole last half just absolutely hooked. So, you know, I, I, every part of the film is well-made, you know, nothing about that first half that's bad. It's, it's all very, you know, the, Zeke, you mentioned the conversation between Marla and Edward Norton about splitting up the days, right? The whole back and forth across the street, sidewalk to sidewalk to shop, just everyone, the choreography basically of the conversation is just beautiful to watch, you know? So it's, it's, it's brilliantly done, but it, the first chunk, you know, purposefully or not, I don't make a connection to any of the people or the situations. Um, although maybe that's why I connect so heavily with the mystery as it unfolds, because I've been looking for something to grab onto, you know, and he's, he's made a character out of me. You know, I felt, felt like the audience who doesn't know why they're here and then suddenly has a reason to be in the theater, right? Um, but I, yeah, the way the mystery unfolds is brilliant. Fincher can do mystery really well, of course. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I, don't, know, I don't have too much else to add on top of that, that my, my re-impression was it was made really well. I, I liked what you were talking about, Joel, about the, the, endless multitude of societal interpretations about the film and views on masculinity and and the good ones and the bad and uh i think it was you tim who said the line about if someone my daughter brings a, a guy home and his favorite film is fight club that's a bad thing i guess the, the question you have to follow up with is why is this your favorite film right because if he answers you know oh i love tyler durden you know you have a problem but if he answers <laughs> 
because it highlights how easy it is to spiral out of control without examining yourself thoroughly. Like you've got the opposite. You've got a film that did a good thing, you know, and, and yeah. right. I, so yeah, I, as a complete package, I don't know, but I, I love that whole second half and it's, there's so many little details about Tyler and the reveal and I just, and it's got a lot to say, but especially it's got a lot to say, but doesn't say anything because it leaves it up to you. And I think a lot of other films that try that, it becomes clumsy and it doesn't work. I, I, get, I get kind of frustrated at films that try to leave ambiguous endings. Just, I, I don't know, because they think it's cool or like they're hoping that audiences will talk about it and it doesn't feel like it serves any purpose, but this, it, it worked, it worked really well. Real quick to just go back to the uh, trading days sequence. I feel like that's such a great answer to the New York walk and talk scene, right? Like that Scorsese staple from and uh, Seinfeld staple. Like every movie shot in New York has that, right? We're walking through the streets of New York and talking, mainly to to say we're in New York, right? This is how a conversation happens in New York. Whereas this is so much more. So much more storytelling happening with this exchange back and forth. We're learning more about Marla, this kind of fringe existence that she has, and her her complete lack of uh, aware, like doesn't care if she's going to get hit by uh, traffic and kind of how she just kind of moves through these places. And it, it, you, it does a lot of character building and it does a lot with and a lot happens like in the background of that scene but it's not about the background in the scene or the fact that they're moving through these it, it's i i just made that connection in my head as like this is the anti new york walk and talk because that's all about just like well we're in new york we might as well get something recognizable behind and i love those shots like not don't get me wrong i mean midnight cowboy that i'm walking here doesn't happen without a new york walk and talk right like that that's such an integral part of film history, but I, I really thought this was a cool twist on it because it does so much. It's a dynamic scene. There's stakes. There's, there's tension because of their relationship at this point, but also there's fucking traffic and she's selling stolen laundry. Like it, it's just this very interesting back and forth. It, it's one of the greatest films in, or one of the greatest scenes period specifically in this film it's one of my favorites um that's probably a good segue into a favorites zeke what did, did you have something to say yeah i was just gonna say i just always appreciate um just marla's flowing in out of the traffic right and just how well that shot just she seamlessly goes cars are honking but she just goes to the middle of the road and stands there and cars are passing by and i want to say there's a scene later on um i think where Ed norton walks into the the street and then cars are like honking and swerving and everything and it's just kind of a i don't know I, just a very like you said well shot scene well choreographed and like what it does for marla's character and then his character later just an interesting counterpart so yeah i love that one i think my favorite scene is when the owner of the bar comes lou who wins the award for most new york person in the movie <laughs> i'm fucking so Lou. <laughs> who the fuck are you i I always liked Brad Pitt as an actor because he was cool. He was blonde. I'm blonde. I've always looked at him like I could look like that if I tried. I couldn't. No, dude's gorgeous and A-list and, and a really good actor. 
Um, I think I might have seen Meet Joe Black before this or after. I can't remember when I saw it, but that was kind of me realizing his range. And for the sometimes he just he'll play Brad Pitt in a movie, and I'm okay with that because I like that guy. Right? That's who Rusty is to a certain extent. That's who Tyler Durden is. But with like Twelve Monkeys, he kind of plays this manic character, and he he has range, right? And he he plays uh, uh, Jesse James in in Assassination of Jesse James by the uh, coward Robert Ford, most ridiculously lengthy movie title of all time, <laughs> second only to Stanley Kubrick's uh, Doctor Strange Love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this scene was just so visceral and so. <sighs> how I learned to stop worrying and make soap. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, and it's kind of a cliche because it's this violent, bloody, nasty projection, right? I don't know if he's it or ego. I I don't know enough about that Freudian concept for what he represents that was repressed in. It's probably ego. Um, Or I don't know. I don't know which one it is. But it's just so there's a catharsis to it. Cause it's like, I wish I could get hit and come back the way he's getting. It's like Spider-Man, right? He always gets back up, but this is a twisted fucked up Spider-Man. Like he's just, and I, I love that he, uh, the, the dude pulls the gun and he keeps beating on him. And I mean, the, the rest of the fight club is like trying to interfere and he holds up his hand and then there's a beat and he holds up his hand to, Cornelius Ed Norton. I always think of him as Cornelius because that's what uh, Meatloaf calls him. Um, I always forget that that's Meatloaf. Every time I see it in the credits, it makes me laugh. Um, but it's just this this singular. It's the will, right, of one man, despite pain, and he te- fucking terrifies him. Please let us use it, Lou. When he when he's holding on him, and he's being pulled. And it's just this, he's bleeding all over him. And he's, you don't know where I've been. And it's this, please let me use it. And he doesn't hurt him, right? Like so much of this is about, it's it's terror and it's trauma, but it's not violence. It's it's always, we've, it's terrorizing and it's it's vandalism and it's giving people dysentery or whatever, peeing in clam chowder and stuff and other things in clam chowder. Um, what all that does, but like this moment is he wins despite getting his ass kicked. And it's just such a visceral scene for that. It, it, it's just, it's really a great performance. And it, it shows kind of the depth and the way he pulls it back, right? Because he has this interaction. It's really visceral. He's bleeding all over him. And then he pulls it back to now everybody's got a homework assignment. And it leads into one of the greatest sequences in the movie, which is the the get in a fight with a complete stranger and lose. Um, I love the music in that scene, um, especially with the priest. I love the priest in that. I love that he comes and ends up being part of Fight Club. Um, but I think for like the the favorite of favorite scenes, it's definitely when Lou comes a calling. You understand, Joel? You mentioned that he doesn't. He doesn't get violent with Lou. As you said, it's it's not about violence; it's about terror. Like the the threat of violence is more than the violence itself, more potent. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, it really comes to a head from both sides because, on the one hand, Tyler could have kicked Lou's ass, yeah, and the fifty guys in that basement could have jumped Lou and the one bodyguard. Yeah. 
you know, but on the other hand, the bodyguard has the gun. It's mostly for show because A, there are too many dudes in the basement to fight, to shoot. But B, you know, you use a gun, now you have a body. Now you have a problem. Whereas you wave it around, the problem goes away. You use it, you make something, you make a new one. And like, with the physical violence too, it's either like, well, I can just take this beating, win the fight without throwing a punch. It it builds his respect, the respect his men have for him, his people, right? It totally changes the dynamic with Lou. I, I just, you're right. I liked that, that touch of, it's not about the violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I guess that was no, a long right. explanation. Just like I liked one sentence you said. My yeah. apologies. Yeah. Well, well Scott, what, what's your favorite scene? Probably towards the back half of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's the scene in the when when the narrator is flying around to all the fight clubs. That's a great. And sequence. he ends up in the restaurant talking to that guy with the head brace. Mm-hmm. Like, for for a couple of reasons. First you're kind of left wondering if that guy got the brace because of his fight club. Exactly. Firstly. Secondly, that's one of the clearest moments of them telling him basically that he's Tyler and him still not getting it. Right. You know, um, I even wrote it down, right? I wrote down the, uh, the whole line here. I wrote down a lot of lines. Um, I'm looking for Tyler Durden. Like, I wish I could help you sir like it's such a <laughs> i just love it and you're the one who gave me lists right you're mr Dern. It, but before that when he walks in on them they're saying his name his is name robert, robert paulson. paulson and i i love the robert paulson scene because the narrator is the narrator he's not tyler when that happens he's him and he is emotional you know he cries over his lost friend who is the only character in the whole film whoever really showed him who saw him who acknowledged him as a person who you know who loved him in any any kind of way and he just lost this friend and so he cries and he just uh and on the one hand the project mayhem people totally misinterpret his grief and twist it into their own thing but on the other hand they're not trying to do that they try to feel it to see it you know some of them start to dismiss it uh no we have no name but the one guy says no no wait I get it. And even though what he ends up saying is we have no name now, but we have a name in death. Like you can see there him feeling with the narrator and sharing the grief. And so I just really liked that glimpse into that. The, the, the hyper-masculine aggressive attitude of the project mayhem, like on the one hand perverts everything it touches, but on the other hand is still capable of feeling other things and and tapping into this raw human sadness and so i like that scene but then i like the payoff in the restaurant even better when he walks in on them saying the mantra so that's what i that's what elevates it right is the the actual robert paulson scene sets it up but it's that cherry on top in the restaurant that really brings it all together we're not supposed to be talking they do a whole lot of talking cross straight lines (laughs) zeke you talked a little bit about your favorite scene but um I don't think you went into too much detail. Did you want to revisit that? Sure. Um, yeah. So the, uh, well, so a second favorite was the one you just mentioned about him traveling around. That's pretty great. Um, yeah. F- first favorite is just the exchange of the, of the, the different dates and when who's going to which, um, you know, cancer 
um, help event or Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever it is. Just like I said, it's just such a bizarre conversation to set the tone for the movie. Um, but it kind of catches you off guard, but it's done in like a dark humor kind of way. And um, I don't know, just, just one that really sticks out to me. Um, so not much more to add. I guess another favorite just humor wise is when, uh, when Edward Norton's on the phone and, and uh, Tyler Durden's in the back with the nunchucks. That's, that, that makes me laugh. <laughs> yelling and fucking throwing them around. That was, that's a good scene. Um, so th- those three, lock those in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Tim, I, I kind of saved you for last on purpose there. Um, partially because it was your pick, but also because I, right. I think you'll have a lot of insight for us. And I yeah, I have a lot of finish off. Yeah, I want to finish off this <laughs> sequence with you very much. So please, what are your favorites? So... At first, I couldn't pick one, and then I remembered watching it. I was like, oh, this is my favorite scene. But I'm going to save that till last because there are a few other little tidbits that I love. Um, Along the same lines of the humor that you mentioned, Zeke, the one where um, it's raining, and it's when, you know, uh, Cornelius first finds the articles and he's reading them and Brad Pitt's riding around on a bicycle and he like, hits something and just goes fucking flying over the handlebars into the kitchen <laughs> like it almost makes me wonder if that was like an accident they just kept it in there like I can't remember it. I, like I read the book too but this was like years and years and years ago and uh, so I can't remember if that was actually something from the book that's like yeah we have to do this or if it's like oh fuck Brad fell off the bike I will leave it in there he gets so um, much air it's, oh god it's yeah. incredible <laughs> um so that's that's one of my favorites um what was the other one shit there was a i i, I mean i i love the, the the scene of the two of them in the bar like towards the beginning when when you really just get to kind of lay down like what the what the movie's all about you know is here's this guy like oh man all this stuff was so important to me and he's like you know no it's just stuff you know and it's like you kind of get the, the, the clear view of their, of their duality in that sense. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the more down to earth parts of, of the movie, you know, before things start kind of spiraling, you know, and we get into the actual fighting, you know, um, uh, yeah, that part I really like, I, I like, um, I really enjoy, you know, I mentioned these earlier, knowing how it ends, all of the conversations between Edward Norton's character and Marla, like in the house, like whenever it's been like, okay, like, you know, they have just had sex. And to him, you know, he's like, oh man, I've just been listening to Tyler have sex with her. And she's like, yeah, I just had sex with this guy and whatever. And then like how, how that must look to her, you know, and how fucked up that is. Um, uh, You know, those, those moments are great. Um, I love, here's, it's another little moment, but when, when they're doing the walk and talk and she throws her cigarette and it like hits him in the face and <laughs> react to that, but keep going. Like, again, I'm like, did that happen on purpose? Like, what did it say in the script? Throw your cigarette at his face, you know, or she just fling it and it happened to hit him in the face and he just kind of rolled with it, you know, um, that, that moment's great. And it's like one of those that I, you know, kind of forget about because it's a little passing thing, but it's like, to me, that's what kind of perfectly encapsulated their two personalities in that moment that she just kind of doesn't it, it isn't aware of what's going on around her you know and that he's just kind of like you know so driven at that point to finish this conversation that like all right she's threw a cigarette in my face but whatever that's not what's important um it's a uh, nice visual touch for the whole rest of the the scene that all of her motion is just careless and effortless almost lazy and all mm-hmm. of his motion is like he's fighting upriver the whole time yeah yeah the world impedes him 
mm-hmm. and it barely exists for her and yeah that's a nice visual touch with the cigarette <laughs> yeah Let's see uh, there was another one i really liked why can't i think of it now um oh i i i really like the scene um you know again this is another another i feel like turning point in the film um with the whole like the you know the chemical burn on his hand um like just how how much that kind of it, it takes such a turn because up to that point, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, we're friends and we're doing this thing and we're making soap. And, you know, you see how gross Tyler is and how, how much more gross, you know, Cornelius is getting. Um, oh, that's another favorite, favorite funny scene is when they get the, the fat and it gets caught on the barbed wire and it just starts pouring. And he's like <laughs> trying to catch it. It's just like, just get out of the way. <laughs> um, but with that scene, it's like, yeah the movie takes a different turn you're like okay like he just and, and again you know we've talked about like violence all along that that you know there's there's consent to all of this violence you know up until that point i think where yes we're both agreeing to get into this fight you know well i guess technically when tyler first punches him he doesn't have consent he's like i want you to hit me but then he hits him um but does that count because it's himself i don't know um but all the people who are fighting you know they're they, they're agreeing to it. They're, they're wanting it. You know, even when, even when Lou goes after Brad Pitt, like he's, he's trying to get Lou riled up so that he will do it. And I, I could be wrong, but I think this is the first time like violence is done to someone against their will, you know, where he, he just does it, you know, and, and he is, you know, he is not into it, you know? And, um, and I love how they bring up the whole thing about like, Oh, the guided meditation. He's like, no, don't deal with this the way those dead people do, you know, like, you know, and that, that's definitely one of the things I think that, you know, kind of hits home, you know, again, I, I like to bring up my whole new age phase all of the time, but that was sort of the thing, this idea sometime. And, and, and I think, you know, there are different ways to meditate. And, and one of them, I think there are people who use it as kind of an avoidance. And I, I don't think it's supposed to be that it's supposed to be about being in the moment, which is what Tyler's trying to make him do which is that other, you know, and, and again, I don't want to say it, meditation is supposed to be this, but, but I feel like that, that is supposed to be the point, at least in some circles to, to be in the moment, to be present. And, and what's, so what's funny is he's trying to do use quote unquote meditation to get away from the moment. And, and Tyler's the one who in a very kind of visceral and painful and violent way is trying to bring him into the moment and to really get to that point of like, yeah, like if, if, you know, if this doesn't matter, like then this, this pain also doesn't matter, but it is real, you know, it's right here in front of you. Um, yeah. So that seems very, very fucked up and just, uh, it's, it, it's also interesting too, like the way this movie triggers certain parts of my OCD, um, the part, like, first of all, like, you know, having this burn and, and how, as he's trying to get away and they're pushing this stuff all over the table. And then when he finally like dumps the vinegar on him and he's just like laying there and you can see like, there's this sense of release because it stopped burning, but he's covered in vinegar and it's just like <laughs> fucking disgusting. You know, it's like, um, so like, you, you know, yes, yeah, so it's, 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 it's really weird. Like that, that scene is just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the ones that always kind of sticks out for me. And it's, it, it's, I feel like up until that point, watching the movie, you're, you're kind of happy too. You're kind of like, you know, you can, you can take the fights with a grain of salt because again, like, you're not like, oh, that poor guy is getting punched. You know, you're like, yeah, like this, they both wanted this. They're both getting the same thing out of yeah, this. Yeah. There's all the consent that you mentioned and yeah. the rules about if someone taps out, goes limp, whatever, the fight is over. And it, right. It keeps yeah. this veneer of want, you know, we want it going on. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and, and it, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, to a degree with like, um, you know, like, and, and, you know, you mentioned earlier the whole kind of like, you know, um, like the gay undertones, which like I found out like later, uh, you know, and, and that's a whole ordeal too. I think Chuck Palahniuk was like outed by the media. I don't think he outed himself. So that was kind of this, I think he had done an interview and then someone was like, oh, you know, it added this extra spin on it, but but it also gives you a different um, a different outlook on the film, I think, because it is kind of like, you know, at one point he does mention, you know, we're a generation of men raised by women. I'm starting to wonder if another woman is actually the, what we need, you know, which has a different, you know, sort of. It seems um, more misogynist than it does homoerotic. But when you look at it in, in the scope of, I mean, it's hard to look at the Jared Leto scene without kind of not even read. It. It's pretty obvious. Like it's kind of this self-loathing, admission because he sees tyler be affectionate towards jared leto's character mm-hmm. that's him so he's attacking this thing that he finds beautiful as yeah. a violent reaction a jealous reaction a, a confused reaction and he totally massacres this guy's face and that's another uh, example of a non-consent violence because he taps out, right? And he yeah. ignores it, right? Yeah, he, he was supposed to stop. He goes limp. Yeah, but at that and, point, it's it's already too late. The monster yeah. of Tyler, the the cult of personality, is too strong, because if someone else had violated the rules, Tyler would have stepped in, or the rest of the club might have mm-hmm. stepped in and reminded each other. But it's Tyler, and they don't dare touch him or stop yeah. him or even open their mouth to say something. It's at that point. It's already too late. The monsters, you know, yeah. you can't control it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think like another part of that too, like with the you know with the whole idea of like the consent and the violence. I think another part of it is also like power. Is that you know again like the fights? I think at, at least at first we're not supposed to be about powerful. Like who you know who's the most powerful? Who has the power? Like again, we're 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 two mostly equal people. Someone ends up winning, but that's not what's important. And it's when, you know, both, like, yeah, like when you start getting this, this um, uh, unconsented violence, it, it becomes an issue of power, it becomes an issue of, of Tyler kind of, yeah, forcing this burn on him, you know, as a way of, I'm going to teach you something, you know, and make my mark on you. But then, you know, again, that same thing is when it's not about two people just fighting anymore. It's about you're unconscious and I'm going to, you know, show that I have this power over you. You know, and I think that's when it starts also kind of getting, yeah, it's when it gets scary and, and, you know, takes that dark turn. And it's all of those things that it's like, you know, if this had just stayed a fight club where we're just fighting for fun to kind of let loose of frustration, it would have been fine. But it's when there starts being a power dynamic, you know, it's when it rises to that where, you know, and that's kind of the, the whole thing they're going over to it. Like, this does not belong to us, but it's like, but he's still leading it you know and that's that's sort of the one of the things about tyler that, that kind of bugs me when he's saying fight club is bigger than us it doesn't belong to us yet he is leading it like a cult and he is also has privileges that the rest of them don't have so it's not like he's kind of down there you know going out getting shot in the head like bob was he's giving them homework assignments like you you know he's he's leading that army um so that part kind of bugs me about him too that he does sort sort of become a hypocrite later on but um okay so i think i've talked about all of my other little ones so my absolute favorite scene i think and this one actually like brings me to tears at the end of it is raymond k hessel when 
he takes him to the back and like it's 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 one of the most horrible because again we're talking about like power and like the 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 unconsented violence like this is i think one of it's not the worst scene for that like for this guy like he's not a part of fight club he doesn't know he's just and but by the end of that scene like you know his whole point for doing it you know and it's like it's the most fucked up thing or one of maybe not the but or it could be very much the most fucked up thing in the movie. But by the end of it, it's like, holy shit, he like, he kind of has a point, you know? And, and it's like, you know, I've, I, it, it, I, I get it too. Cause I've also been there where um, there was a point a few, uh, a while ago where I noticed there was like a lump on the back of my neck. And of course the first thing you think is, Oh, it's, Oh, it's a tumor. What the fuck? And I'd gone to the doctor and, you know, and after kind of worrying about it and kind of, trying to get myself to come to terms with like, Oh, I, I guess I'm going to die of brain cancer. I went to the doctor. It's like, it's a swollen gland. And I was like, how the fuck do you, why do you have a gland on the back of your neck? Like, it was like, you know, it's one of those things. I know you've, you know, the glands under your chin that when you get sick, they get all tender, but this was like a rant. So I was like, I, I didn't know that was a thing. And it's like, yeah, you know, and sometimes they get swollen, they stay swollen. So like, it's still there. I still have it, but it's like, yeah, it's just a gland. But, but I remember like building up to that point, like, like trying to come to terms with like, I, I think I'm going to die. Like, I think this is it. This is great. You know? And then after that being like, Oh my God, like I, I got my life back. Like, like yesterday I had brain cancer today. I'm, I'm fine. You know? And, 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 and you do get that whole new perspective on life where it's like, I'm not, I'm not stuck in this situation that I think I'm stuck in, you know, like you, you, you know, you get stuck in those situations because there's nothing you I guess you kind of you know sometimes you can't imagine anything better or you know you the reason you're doing the things you don't want to be doing is for some greater good supposedly that you've convinced yourself of but when when you get a chance to kind of wipe all that away and it's just like you know that that sort of if was this was your last day on earth what would you do kind of situation like it it, it pulls you out of everything and you're like oh fuck like this I, I I'm gonna you know I'm going to choose like every second of my life, this point, this moment on, like, I'm not just going to fall to it. And, and of course you fall into new patterns and things get shitty again. And you, you know, and you know, that's kind of been what, uh, you know, I think a lot of life is you kind of get into patterns, you get into routines, you get kind of stuck in this, this thing. And, and hopefully something happens to break you out of it and you get to kind of reinvent yourself, rebuild your life from scratch. Um, but, but yeah, that was one of the scenes and, 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 and no one would ever ask for that. Like, oh, I hope someone, you know, gives me this ultimatum where either I'm going to shoot you in the back of the head or you go back and go back to school and do what you really want to do. But it is kind of like, there's the little part of you that's like, but if someone did, like, I could see where that would be like, you know, like, yeah, like I would, I would, I would start my life over, you know, and you, and you could do that, you know, or, you know, um, and I think that's kind of like, you know, I've definitely seen that throughout other times in my life where completely horrible things will happen. And at the time, it's still the worst. And, and I, I still hate when people are like, oh, but it could be worse. You know, that, that what's what's now known as, a, you know, toxic positivity, which is totally a thing. Like, you know, someone being positive is not helpful if you're in that place where, you know, you can't, you know, it, it's just like being told that whatever you're going through is isn't valid, you know, but but when you do come out of it and you can look back on it and it's like, okay, I couldn't be in this cool place I'm at now if that other horrible shit hadn't happened to kind of break me out of that. Um, 
and, and, and that's, you know, and that's, that's what life does to you, I think. And that's what was a, a brilliant and beautiful metaphor about that scene is that it's not always a person with a gun to the back of your head, but, but sometimes it's just life, you know, like sometimes it's a pandemic, you know, sometimes it's a shitty president, but like, you know, things will come into your life and it will, it will make you think like, this is it, I'm done. And it's like, wait, no, I'm not. Okay. So I get a do-over, you know, I get to kind of go on and, um, yeah, and I just, I, I remember my first thought when I first saw that scene, because one of the things I knew Brad Pitt from the most was Interview with the Vampire. And the part <laughs> when he's like, the part when he's like, tomorrow, you know, will be the most beautiful day of Raymond K. Hessel's life. You know, I was like, oh my God, that's Louis. <laughs> like, like that was, that was this introspective vampire like observing humans and you know from this you know he's a vampire but he's the most human of the vampires and and i feel like that's that's right where he was in that moment like as tyler durden and what he was kind of drawing on is this this kind of supernatural being but still natural enough and in the world but enough outside the world to see this bigger perspective and and kind of manipulate stuff in, in ways. So yeah, that that scene is my my absolute and the fact that he shows he had no bullets in the gun, so he really wasn't gonna kill him. There really was no actual danger. It kind of I feel like does redeem him a little bit, like as fucked up as it was. And you know, Raymond didn't know there were no bullets in that gun, like he thought he was gonna die, you know. Um and then of course you see on the back of the door like all the licenses later on, like all the all the human sacrifices, you know. That's another um, great callback, like another delayed payoff where yeah. they plant that and it's not something that you see the narrator see it's just for the audience to see how right. much more trauma had happened how many more times i wanted to say uh another favorite scene is when tyler is in the bathtub and they're yeah. both like clipping their nails and i mm -hmm. i think about this scene maybe every day of my life about making that call. <laughs> john mulaney <laughs> Well, yeah. Think about that yeah. every day. <laughs> every well, it's also like it, 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 it's another Mulaney connection because it, it so gets at the heart of how I feel in the world. Like Mulaney talks about college. What is it? I acted like a, or I lived like a goddamn Ninja Turtle. I didn't drink water. <laughs> do my friends hate me or do I have to just have to sleep? Like just all of those things. So, so solidly like nailed me and my personality and my experience. This was like, dad never went to college. It's a big deal that I had to go. Got through four years, made a call. What do I do now? Get a job. You got the job. Next year came around. You make the, the call again. What do you do now? I don't know. Get married. I quote that all the time. I think I've quoted it like three, four times on the podcast. <laughs> um, it just so like, and there's problems with the end of like uh, the misogynist interpretation of the, I'm not sure another woman is what we need that whole tag. But leading up to that, the whole thing is just so much about like, I keep, I, I had that experience today. Right. I, I read a, I found out about a job opportunity I'm working on applying for it. And I had that impulse. I was like, I need to call my dad. And it's, I don't know if it's an approval thing. I don't, I, <sighs> It's just so specific and so personal, intimate. It's it just like it's like holding up a mirror to my psyche of like, I feel this need to have this. And I have a great relationship with my dad. Elections past noted. Um, but like there's still this kind of need for approval and making sure that I'm on the right path or that like 
look how much money I'm going to be making or like, look at how much better well off I'm going to be. I, I don't know if it's just something like dads are very concerned with like, and this is, this is a very traditional fucked up sensibility, but like traditional provider, like my mom was a homemaker and uh, raised us. Right. So th- that the dynamic in my house was dad worked and was provider in quotation marks in that sense. So I don't know if it's just that family dynamic of like, I always see him as like, he's moving up in, through these stages in life and providing more money and doing these things. And I don't know if it's something like, Hey dad, I can do that too. Look, look that I'm following in your footsteps that way. It's just a very existential. It's so specific. And then real quick, one of my favorite Marla lines is the condom is the glass slipper of the modern age. You slip one on, you dance all night, and then you throw it away the next morning. It's just so perfectly written and and so perfectly delivered it's just she she delivers it like this soliloquy like she she has the cigarette and she kind of flourishes it about and the way she interacts with norton in that scene is just excellent i feel like i read a fan theory at one point and i i didn't dig into this too much but at one point when you guys were talking about marla reminded me that marla was actually also in his head too Mm. in addition to tyler which then i think causes problems unless you're like what if all the other guys were also in his head? Cause there definitely are interactions with like other guys and Marla, but you know, um, and like when, when she's selling the clothes, that could have been him that pulled the clothes out of the dryer. It's like, and that's why she walks into traffic and doesn't get hit and the cars honk, which again could have been like in his own head as, you know, as far as justifying that. And, um, uh, oh yeah, that, that was another little favorite moment with the car honking reminded me of that when, he's at the airport and he sees car, uh, Tyler jump into the convertible and drive away. <laughs> and like, it, of course, it's one of those things you kind of see it and you're like, oh, whatever. And it, it took, I think it wasn't until the third or fourth viewing that I noticed that someone's yelling, hey, that's my car. Like as he drives off, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. That, that you know, because the way he's dressed, yeah, he's either super rich or homeless. You don't know. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that was really good, Tim. I'm glad I said you for last. <laughs> no, yeah, that was brilliant. I actually had one last thing, just to, to come back to Bob for a second, that our narrator meets Bob at the testicular cancer group, where lots of them don't have balls anymore, but that later, the thing that Project Mayhem does to people who get in their way is cut their balls off. <laughs> like, again, what a what a way to miss the point, or, you know, mm-hmm. and like poor Bob, who found acceptance and purpose in this group that like hates what he is and therefore makes his enemies that like sort of I just a little he weaponizes it too yeah, I think exactly. it's also a nice turn I mean Bob is kind of like the most empathetic person in the whole movie right like yeah and that he Norton goes out and tells him like he comforts him after he's saying you're too fat and your tits are too big. You can't be in Project Mayhem. And then he goes back and he comforts. It's like, here's a process. And he's directly responsible for his death, like in that sense. Like he he was going to go away. And he probably should have gone away. He would have been fine. The score of this, the music is incredible. I always yeah, forget I, that. I bought it. I own it. It's so good. I need to put it like, I need a Spotify playlist of it. Because it's just, it's so good. And it, it just drives everything. So, so, I mean, even the Monday, like I, I lock into the front part of it. Cause I, I like the movie for its literariness. It seems very novel esque and it's one of my favorite movies with a narrator. Cause that's something I always 
butted heads against with Scorsese. I never really liked his narrators. The one I like the most is uh, Leo in Gangs of New York. I kind of like that. I, I don't know why, um, but for some reason, that's something that I, Goodfellas always kind of, I don't know if it's Ray Liotta or I, I don't know. I like specific scenes in that movie, but the ongoing narration always irritated me. But with this, it's just so written and so confidently written. And it, it does not apologize. It's not timid. It's so in your face about what it is. And the music drives in the same way. It just, it just seems so much more like a novel than any movie I'd ever seen before. Jump in on that. And I was going to say, um, I think that's one thing I had to add is I also really liked, not that I didn't like the second half, but I liked the first half a lot more. Um, and, and Scott, you mentioned like that you like seeing the, the mystery unfold, but for whatever reason, I liked seeing the mystery being built and playing through that in my own head to, to Joel's point, you know, kind of like just how it's written or how it's, how it reflects the novel. Right. And just, you know, what's Marla up to, right? You know, we've got Edward Norton's character going to all these events and then here comes Marla. Like, what is her intent? You know, then we get the mysterious Tyler Durden and I kind of like the stretch of the movie where you don't know anything. Um, and then, you know, it kind of turns into action and nonstop and, you know, Project Mayhem takes off. And I like that too, but I really like the the first chunk of the movie where it's just building the suspense for whatever reason. And just there's so much unknown, so much weird stuff. Um, you know, he's on the plane telling the, the woman about his job and like <laughs> just going into detail about, and it cuts to that scene where he's, you know, where they're at a, a crash site looking at the, at the wreckage and just all the weirdness of it. I just really liked all the weird unknowns of the first half. I really liked that, that in that scene where he's talking to the, the lady on the plane, that it goes from, diegetic narration to non-diegetic nar narration i just love that phrase i use it as much as i can because it's he's been talking to us the audience the whole time and then that's the first time you kind of see him talking to somebody else the way he's been talking to us and i think something that drives i don't know if i just like lists i'm a dickens guy i've always liked listing it's, it's how i write it, it that's why i have huge run-on sentence i just like a lot of details so when Norton goes in about this placemat, this this yin and yang coffee table, the the ruffles, like as it's going down like a catalog, I don't know if I'm just like a super consumer, like that just pumps my nads in a certain sense. But it's it's just like it hits me as where I live as from the very start. It just like jumps and it's listing and it, it's just. I don't know. Like it felt like when you pick up a book for the first time, and it's you're reading it faster than than you're absorbing it because you're just like, what what's next? It's like wildfire. Like uh, it's similar to the uh, I don't know if you guys read Brave New World, but there's the sequence in that where they're talking about conditioning of the mind, and as you're reading it and you're talking, it's talking about assembly lines, and it starts to do the conditioning while you're reading it and you start to read it as fast and you realize it's happening to you. The conditioning is being modeled in how you're reading it. And it, it just, it's a similar feeling with the beginning of this movie for me is it, it just gets going and doesn't stop for me. It just really grabs my attention in that sense. I don't know if that's. I agree. I think that's, that's part of it for me too. Um, another thing too, is just I, like you said, just him talking to us versus talking to, 
whoever, right? I, there are a few other instances in the beginning that they break the fourth wall, right? When they're in the um, projection room and they're talking about the cigarette burns and splicing things into the movies and they're talking straight to the camera dead on. And um, so that aspect of it, I liked from the first half. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for, for narrators and narrated movies. So I really liked, I mean, that's, that's throughout though, but I liked how it was done in the first half where it was a little bit more fourth wall breaky. Um, I don't know. Yeah. There was just a lot in the first chunk that I did like. One, one other thought I, I had to want to, to at least briefly discuss is, uh, I know Zeke, you said you read the book. Um, and at one point, yeah, like I said, I, I read the book and it actually kind of led me to a lot of his other books. Have, have it either any of you guys read either Fight Club or any of those other books besides Fight Club? I haven't Fight read Club. anything else yet. Yeah. yeah. I have it on my shelf. Um, it's my no, I uh he's he's become probably like one of if not the favorite author of mine um and and definitely in terms of just um yeah like being able to like just plow right through them because they're just so they they have a, a a momentum to them and I feel like he he gets into this perfect amount of description and detail so yeah not not Dickens level but like just enough <laughs> where you he he somehow knows how to say the right words so it just like instantly conjures an image in your head so he doesn't have to talk for too long but you 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 get it and one of the things you'll definitely you you notice is that he has a lot of themes like all of his books have those little catchphrases that keep coming back like the way it does in fight club you know all these little things that just pop in and kind of like like and then slowly morph throughout the thing you know based on what's going on around them um a lot of his books actually have some sort of supernatural element to them which this was one of the more mild ones where it's like oh it's this other personality that's kind of taking over but um, one of my favorite books by him is, I think it's, it's called Rant. Um, and it's, it's like a, a biography about this guy who is able to go back in time and he starts like, like raping his female ancestors basically so that he can kind of purify his genes. Like he is his only male descendant. And mm -hmm. it's just like, it, it's such a weird fucked up take on time travel, you know, cause they always talk about like, Oh, well, if you do this and you know, you'd never be born. And his thought is like, well, what if I go back and I'm my own father? And then if I'm my own grandfather, if I'm my own great grandfather, and, and it just gets into like this, these really dark and disturbing, like, like thoughts that you, it's like, you know, kind of like with fight club, it gets into this whole thing. Oh, well let's start fighting each other, but then we'll burn each other's hands. And then we'll do and, and, and so a lot of his stuff has very like, kind of disturbing elements to it very uh there's a lot of like i don't want to say mutilation because that sounds like way too overboard but uh there's another book that i that i read recently that i loved um about this guy who like his wife and, and kids died and one of the ways he deals with that is he buys these little model houses and he'll put them together in the dark and then put them on the floor and just stomp on them with his bare foot and throughout the whole book, he's actually carrying around pieces of those broken houses, like in his feet, like, and, and they, they kind of get all like swollen and like infected and there's blisters. And at one point in the book, this one woman is just like picking them out for him and she has dreads and she's like tying them into her dreads. And it's just like, like, like so gross. And again, because of my OCD, you would think that like, I wouldn't like reading this stuff because it's just so like it gets into the, like the, the fleshy bits, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it, and, 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 and he's, he's so good at that. And he's so good at having these like 
d- disturbing things. And, and, and it's definitely something that I thought at first was just kind of what fight club was about, like kind of, okay, you know, you're, you're, you know, the, you're all part of the same compost heap, but a lot of it, I think that comes up in a lot of his books where it's like, you know, kind of how, just like the flesh is kind of disposable, you know, people will just kind of like, okay, I'm doing this injury to myself, but it's kind of how I deal with life. And, and you see a lot of those themes come back in his books. Um, but like, yeah, or like people just being like horribly injured, but like kind of moving on from that. And it's, it's really interesting how, you know, again, like with Fight Club, it kind of like, I don't want to say just desensitizes you, like you become you know, like someone who's just going to go out and, and hurt people because it's like, yeah, this doesn't matter. But in terms of dealing with, with your own life and the way things happen to you, it's kind of like, oh yeah, like you can kind of go through this horrible thing and it's not the end of your life. You can kind of still do these other things. And I'm kind of probably making it where you guys are like, I'm never going to read any of those other books. They sound horrible. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, you know, usually when that stuff happens, it's this big, you know, climax and there's like this payoff to it. And they're, they're, it's just like the concepts that his books are about. It's like, I never would have thought of that. You know, it's like, like, where does he get his ideas, but then where he takes them and kind of like with fight club, there's usually kind of three stories kind of going on simultaneously. You know, you'll kind of almost feel like, wait, was I reading a different book? And like, you know, like, I think some of them I did as an audio book and I'd hit play and I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Did I hit the wrong book? And it's like, no, it's this other story that he started within the story that it will eventually intersect and weave into this other story. And be like, oh, okay, that's right, okay. Um, so, so anyway, just on the, you know, on the topic of, you know, because it's a, you know, a film that's, that's made from a book, you know, the, 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 the actual book aspect. And I, I honestly can't remember how much I liked the book because I know that there were some differences. Um, and it's definitely like the book is not one of my favorites of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that necessarily as a criticism of the book, but just like the way the, the movie hit me was so perfect. And I'm glad that the book led me to his other books, but he has so many other books that are just so, so good. Um, well, they also made a movie out of choke, which is oh, one of his right. books. Yeah. Well, you were describing a, about like bodily, like pain, constant pain, right? The idea of like the, the foot festering just really yeah. reminds me of like Samuel Beckett novels where every, or even, the plays where it's it's all about indigestion and difficulty digesting mm. and constipation and inertia and this kind of like constant discomfort in your own body yeah um so I, that's that shit appeals to me so i'm i'm definitely interested in reading some of this the the, the one about time traveling <laughs> rape is very yeah. interesting yeah it's, and, and that kind of sneaks in too like it's it's one of, again it's about something else and it's like this group of people and it's basically like this, I think it's like a dystopian story about the future where it's like there are people who live outside during the day and then a different group of people are allowed outside at night. So it's like this whole thing of like, wait, what the hell? And then that kind of weaves its way into the story and, and it kind of, and, and rabies plays a big part of it. It's, 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 it's so huh. like, and that's the thing about him too. It's so ridiculous, like how he'll pull in all these things that are like, disturbing for different reasons and kind of pull the story together and then it's like oh but it's it's about this other thing you know like, oh okay um but yeah if anyone's who's interested or if anyone wants to you know give me a shout out on social media i will i will make a list of my recommendations of like the books by him that i have read and, and which ones i love which ones are kind of meh you know um but yeah i definitely have a few favorites where it's like 
it's hard to pick my absolute favorite of his, I think, because there are just some that are so good. I haven't reread any of them just because it's like, I want to read more. But I think once I finish and read all of them, I think I'll go back. He's also apparently doing his own version of the Divine Comedy. Um, he has uh, Damned, I think, which is supposed to be his version of the Inferno. And then uh, I think Doomed is the second part of that series, which is supposed to be Purgatory. And I don't know if he's written the third part yet, but if you if you happen to come across those, uh, to be fair, Damned wasn't one of my favorites of his. But once I found out it's supposed to be like the Divine Comedy, I might wait till the whole thing is out and reread the whole trilogy. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting that he was doing like, you know, that that seems like appropriate for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but anyway, yeah, check out check out his books. He's he's a really great author. And yeah, very disturbing. If you get disturbed easily, you may not pick a lot of his stuff, but yeah, yeah. that does sound good. Real quick, yeah. I, I had two other things I wanted to talk about. First of all, mm-hmm. with the with the the tourist um sequence, right? Where he's talking oh, about yeah. where he yeah. discovers Marla. And he he's doing the same thing and this idea of like the woman interloper r- drawing attention to his performative um kind of leeching onto these people and his really violent reaction to her it's just like there's a lot to be said for like the 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 misogynist viewpoint that could be taken from this film um but i thought it was really fucked up that he was in a sickle cell group and the only white face in this sea of (laughs) african-americans and then it's it's like don't you think you look like the interloper in this this situation? It's not that white people can't get sick or so, but it, it's statistically less likely. So I thought that was just really, I, I had never noticed that before, but this time I was really like, motherfucker, <laughs> choose a different group. <laughs> and then, what were you going to say, Tim? Oh, no, I just like what she brings up too. And he's like, oh, you know, testicular cancer you know, contest. She's like, you know, well, you know, I have more right to be there than you. You still have your balls. Like, you know that, that, that yeah it's like yeah I, I think that's what i do like about that is yeah both of them are, are just as fucked up for doing that you know like like he's not you know okay and she's you know the bad guy like like they're both doing yeah they're both doing the same thing and I, I think it's like i guess maybe from the very beginning what what kind of plants the seed that like oh they end up together because yeah they're they're you know kind of the same type of people they're just you know um or i guess maybe he I feel like he had to kind of go on his journey to maybe be more like her. Cause like, you know, I, I like that when, when Tyler's like, say what you will about Marlo, but at least she's trying to hit rock bottom, you know, like that idea of, of, of hitting rock bottom. And that's also something I've definitely explored at different times in my life. And it's like, you know, there is that, that, uh, that advantage to it, you know, and that, it, but, but that he's making it like this goal, you know, and it's almost like, you know, the narrator had to hit rock bottom so that he could, be with her and you know they both had this fucked up journey together but it's like you know they they end up right for each other it's, it's a beautiful love story <laughs> coming this uh, uh valentine's day <laughs> yeah. well you know and and that's part of it too is i think like you know it's it's different from a lot of other type of books or, or movies where it's like this is the hero and it's like the hero has to be painted as this like perfect being and can do no wrong and it's like you know, this is definitely a case where it's like, yeah, he's, he's not a hero. He's not a good person. He's not, you know, it's like, you know, I, and I, I kind of like that, that movies, and I think it's, it's tough sometimes, you know, as far as like, what is the movie's message versus like, 
you know, um, like, like things that happen in the movie, is that something that the, the writers are being an advocate for, or are they saying it's a flaw in the character, you know, um, you know, kind of like, like, like Cartman on South Park, you know, like people get, you know, like, and, and I guess you could still go both ways with this, like how Cartman will be racist a bunch of the time, but a lot of times he's being racist because you're supposed to know that that kid is an asshole. So the fact that he's being racist is like, yeah, like this asshole is the one who's racist. You know, it's not that the show is racist. It's like they're making fun of people who are like Cartman because they're assholes and because, you know, so I feel like that's part of with this is like, are we supposed to take his actions as like, oh, this is what the music is. I mean, this is what the movie is advocating or like, yeah, like he's, he's a shitty person too. Like everyone's terrible. There, there are no heroes, <laughs> you know, they're just shitty people doing shitty things trying to get through their lives and right. you never get again another way that it's the opposite of the matrix you know <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> yeah in south park you never get the sense that they're championing cartman as, as right. how you should be how you should operate in the world yeah. um so just to get on my moon night shit anytime that there's a character with dissociative identity disorder I'm always really interested in that portrayal because that, that's that's a f- common film and TV trope where people with a mental illness are are portrayed as villainous or evil or having this like doppelganger, this this other side that's evil. I mean, it goes all the way back to Jekyll and Hyde, right? So this is a really interesting portrayal of that. And I don't know the psychological validity of shooting oneself in the mouth to to symbolically murder your other personality that aside i mean this is a heightened state this is this is obviously kind of a super realist or or hyper reality that we're kind of moving through i just thought it was an interesting it's not it's not as as incendiary as some portrayals that are are poorly researched i just thought it was really interesting we don't really see a moment of traumatic break we don't really see how the disorder develop we we kind of see the the insomnia and those kinds of usually this is an inciting in, incident and we we still know very little about how it develops and how it manifests um it's just really interesting to have the the changeover right where in the way you described it was really kind of poetic that the 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 movie's on but nobody's watching or something the channel changes or something you don't really notice it i just thought that was really it's an interesting portrayal of it. They're both kind of morally shitty. So it's not like there's a good guy in there and it's a bad guy. The, the exaggerated id or the exaggerated ego of our narrator is going to be a worse person than he is at his base. So that's a really interesting, it just, it's, it's an interesting use of the disorder. Um, Obviously, not the best researched or I, I don't know like it serves its purpose in the film um just did anybody else have any thoughts on that i not in that case but you did remind me joel that i a moon knight meme has picked up over the last couple of months mm. uh it's it's remarkably similar to how i approach polite conversation random bullshit go throws all his weird gadgets at someone right moon discs <laughs> and it's it's two thugs and one of them says something about some this some moon knight guy and another guy says something about all the random bullshit he keeps in his belt and so moon knight just says to them random bullshit go and just throws <laughs> But that's been having a having quite a time of it on the internet lately. <laughs> I mean, I feel like 
and, and I know I just said that like, you know, he's a shitty person. He's no hero, but I feel like he wasn't necessarily portrayed as a, as the, the, the villain and that right. this sort of darker side. Um, and also I feel like that, you know, the Tyler Durden is kind of, or at least feels as though he's there to help him, you know? And, and yeah, and I don't, I, yeah, I haven't done any research about, you know, like, um, you know, people who have multiple personalities. And I mean, I guess I also saw this as more of it wasn't um, something he was dealing with his whole life. It was almost like, you know, something that he wanted, but didn't have the courage to do. And that's what manifested it, you know, so not necessarily like, oh, this is like every other person with multiple personality disorder. Like this is, you know, again, that sort of slightly supernatural thing where it's like, Mm. you know, if you're, if, if you want your life to change, but you never take any steps, eventually you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and go sleepwalk and do the things you want to do. Um, and maybe that's part of multiple personality disorder. I don't know, but I mean, I guess I didn't see it as much as, you know, or, or movies like um, uh, Split, you know, where it's like, he's, he's an actual villain and he's a murderer and he's kind of like, you know, and that's, that's the whole of his character is that he has all those personalities, you know, whereas here, I feel like it was something almost like a, like an evolutionary thing, you know, like his, his body or his mind had to like mutate in order to like help him fix his life. Um, That that's often, I mean, my understanding of the the disorder is that it, it, it's a response to, it's kind of a uh, uh, compartmentalization gone to the extreme. So it's kind of, it, it can be used as a defense mechanism in response to things. And I mean, it because it's in your head right the way you develop a a neurological response or coping mechanism to stimuli has its its origin in what you think would help in in a certain sense so what i saw is like because tyler is specifically what our narrator the product of kind of this pent up aggression, this, the, the, there's no release valve, right? If he's very subdued, he's, he's not expressing himself. He's not sleeping. He's not doing all these things. So this super uh, active, not passive, this super violent, expressive, there's no, there's no chill, right? There, there's no baseline. It's all extremes is, is a direct response to kind of the things that he saw wrong with his life, things that he was frustrated, couldn't change. So I, I think the the disorder works as as kind of a a an extreme um, personification of of the points being made and the kind of personalities at play. It's just really interesting. And I is killed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, is it time? Do you think, Joel? Oh, one other thing I thought was really cool. I always really love the uh, security camera footage at the end really solidifying oh, yeah. oh, that it's just yes. it's just edward norton and there's Beating nobody else there it's just such a great visceral like i love that anytime you you see somebody fighting themselves it's just such a great visual gag and something that's that's really interesting and kind of weird weird to orchestrate and choreograph and see how it played out just when he throws himself down the stairs and cause we're, we've always seen it from Ed Norton's perspective, right? Cause we see Tyler when he sees Tyler. Yeah. So when it goes away, we're seeing reality 
And then it, it jumps back and forth between his perception. And I, I just think that's really well cut and really well paced. It's brilliant because it's the first fight with Tyler in the parking lot is with Tyler. Yeah. But then he fights himself in his boss's office. Yeah. We know it's him fighting himself on purpose. So, so I like the way that last fight with the security footage, it looked different, even though it was still him beating himself up. It wasn't the same beating himself up as in the boss's office. Mm, It was, everything was different. That was nice. You are now shooting at your imaginary friend, 400 <laughs> tons of nitroglycerin. It's one of the great <laughs> deliveries of a line. Uh, I love that so much. Uh, <laughs> is it time? I think that might be it then. It just very, very well else? might be. <laughs> All right. All right. It's time for my favorite segment, All and right. we'll put it right here. It is, it is time for another <laughs> situational movie recommendation. <laughs> Um, so what I brought for this one, I mean, I, I might've shown my hand a little early on this one was a uh, favorite movie with a narrator that goes all the way through or has a narrator. Let, let, we could leave it at that. Um, I'm going to start cause I'm shameless. I really like the way it's used in into the spider verse. That's just a great, because of its purpose, right? Cause the first time we see Spider-Man on the big screen is Tobey Maguire. He narrates that whole film. And you can like it or not like it, whatever. Like it just establishes this trope and what they did in Spider-Verse to have multiple narrators. And since we've seen the Spider-Man story so much on film for them to play with it that way, it's like, here we go again. And then they they kind of do it like, you know, it's coming. We're going to have to do this again. But the way they do it, they just play with it really, really, brilliantly it's just it's a lot of personality a lot of self-awareness of the genre that they're in and the specific hero that they're dealing with so i I just really like that and it it becomes new each time it happens and it's just it's great and when when it's miles it, it it it's just such a great crescendo like it's it's the finale in in every sense of the world it's it's just great and his cover is so sick like just the frame of them narrating their origin stories is just outstanding. I'll second that one because I'll always <laughs> second Spider-Verse. Um, and like when it gets to um, Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Pig, and just uh, who else is in that one? Penny, Penny Parker. Yep. Yeah. And just all three go together with their like chopped <laughs> up and then Spider-Pigs is a little bit different or Spider-Ham um, is just a little bit different. Um, yeah. Love that. And my other two, uh, so Usual Suspects, and I feel like I've gone Usual Suspects with another thing, but just such a great twist ending, you know, to be narrated by Kaiser Soze the whole time, and then the twist at the end. Uh, That's a good one. And then the other one I was going to get at, and it happens to be another uh, David Fincher movie, um, is Gone Girl. And he just has a knack for writing or adapting novels, I guess, that are based on an unreliable narrator, because he does that well here. He does that well in Gone Girl. Just knocks it out of the park both times. Um, and that's one thing watching this one, I was like, oh, this feels like a Fincher movie. It feels like Gone Girl. And then it, and then it is. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I was going to plug that earlier. Forgot to. Um, but th- this was a good way to cue that up. Just mm. really like both and how they're handled. I think for me, it's uh, Fallen. Because I love the, that, that that's part of the twist, you know, that like you think it's 
Denzel's character who's narrating, but it's actually a Zazel. I was like, ah, oh, right, well done. <laughs> and the fact that at the end when he's narrating it, he's in the body of a cat. You know, that's when he's that's when he's telling the story from and let's see you around. <laughs> it's like, yes. <laughs> I will second that one too because I love that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you I was like, I was like, oh, Zeke's probably gonna take this one. I'm gonna have to think of another one. So I'm glad you didn't. I was like, yes. <laughs> Film that I think of when I think of like this sort of depressing nihilistic voiceover is actually Train Spotting. Um, although it's clearly sitting shoulder to shoulder with Fight Club in that sense, um, I think I think American Psycho does it yeah. for me as the thing that like eventually you're more interested in the narration than in what's going on in front that of you. That one's so good. But I, this is a real stretch. It's a real stretch. Life is beautiful? Question mark for those of you who've seen it, the soul-crushing Holocaust movie, which I think only opens and ends with narrations, and I think otherwise it's just a normal film, so it's kind of a stretch. If you've seen it, I sort of like what you said about Denzel about you hear the first narration and go, oh, okay. And I sort of maybe not everyone does this, but I assumed the narrator was a specific character. And at the end, it was not. And I just Oh, it was, oh, it was, it was heartbreaking and painful. Although, like I said, I I can't remember a single instance of narration anywhere during the actual film. I think it's just the very opening has like ten sentences, and the very end has like three. And I think you're done. But you know, those last sentences just defined everything. So I I'm gonna include it. Yeah, take American Psycho if you want a real answer. <laughs> Another one I really like is Christmas Story. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget that? And I'm really surprised <laughs> that in, in yeah. a podcast who, who fans so hard for Princess Bride, Princess Bride didn't come up. Zeke oh, yeah, I guess grimaced because he didn't, doesn't want to have this fight with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll avoid that one for, for now. <laughs> for now. Oh, nice. shit. Did I just spoil your next pick? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but by, maybe my next next. Maybe it will be my next pick after this yeah. one. Gotcha. No, but I just yeah, like we, the Christmas story one. That, that one, it just... Yeah, that's my you, real answer. You guys saw my conversion mm. to fanning, mm -hmm. like, standing that film. It just it's so warm and so specific and of that era and mm -hmm. just and it's it's for you it's for you know yeah the the white suburban guy kid so nothing wrong in, in liking something darker than you <laughs> i can't believe i didn't think of that i'm ashamed of myself gosh <laughs> but um that does uh bring us to next month where zeke is going to be our movie selector zeke what are you going to bring us yeah, uh, so I'm going with a very recent one. I'm going with Palm Springs. Um, oh. I think it's a Hulu original. Has anyone watched that yet? No. no. Okay, yeah. sweet. It's got uh, Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Milotti, J.K. Simmons is in there. Um, and to be honest, like, don't look into it. It was one that we saw on Hulu, said we like Andy Samberg, let's hit play. Um, and I think the less you know about it, the better. Um, it's just one of those movies where it's just just go for it. So yeah, Palm Springs. All Sweet. right, yeah, sounds good. Look at you Ooh. picking something we all can stream. <laughs> this might be our newest film. Yeah. Like I mean, of course, if it came out in twenty twenty, you know, someday we'll mm -hmm. be doing this in twenty twenty five and going, oh, newest. But I mean, like, 
its release date is the closest to its recording date i think of anything mm-hmm. yeah closest before done. was portrait of a lady on fire mm-hmm. yeah which we we were like four months behind or something like that this mm-hmm. one's real fresh wow <laughs> brilliant i'm really looking forward to that that's gonna yeah, be great it's a fun one yeah. Uh, thank you all for joining me. I, despite what I said at the start, I do love you guys. <laughs> I promise. And, uh, thank You're you not beautiful much. and unique snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the four of us together can Voltron into a snowflake. Right. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, that was, I don't know where that came from. Thank you, listeners, for, uh, for, for joining us. And we hope to be back next month. Until then, have a good night. Bye. 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 Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next.